everybody, and welcome back, musical lovers, to another episode of Before the Town Beats, a musical podcast. I am your ginger host, Mackenzie, and our Canadian B. Arthur, the director extraordinaire, the John Adams of Canadian theater, Ms. Autumn Smith, is still away on her theater contract globetrotting adventure. So she is out for a few more episodes, but fear not. She is back in time for our big 50th extravaganza episode we have planned for you. But uh, we have set up some really terrific guest co-hosts to fill in for her. And for this episode, I'm excited to announce I'm joined by one of my amazingly talented theater friends who I have had the privilege of meeting through a pandemic. It is none other than the wonderful Katie Miller. Hello, Katie. Hey, thanks for having me. Thank you for coming on for this wonderful episode. How are you? I'm doing great. Yeah, you know, yeah. I'm uh yeah, I'm I'm uh, an actor living through a pandemic, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm doing uh yeah, doing yeah. doing pretty good. Um yeah. I was I was telling Mac though, I I get I have the opportunity to teach a whole bunch of fabulous uh students right now, so Definitely has been um, a lot of theater in my life still, which is really nice. Love that. I love that. And Katie, you and I got to meet through our wonderful friend, Jill, who was uh, on for our Avenue Q episode. But she introduced us through our wonderful play book club. Yeah, that was really fun. So Katie, tell us what is the musical we are discussing today? Because we have a very pivotal, culturally important musical here. I'm very excited because today we're talking about one of my favorite musicals of all time, which I believe is maybe a controversial choice, but hair musical. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. We're talking about the hippie, dippy, hairy musical hair. Yes. Very yes. It exciting. is the age of Aquarius, as they say. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, trigger warning before we get into this. Uh, we will be having discussions that use profanities, as well as there is one particular song we will briefly touch upon that does have some racial slurs. Uh, so, because of that, we want to give everybody a fair heads up before we dive into this, as Katie says, groovy musical. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is a term. So I say groovy all the time. That is someone mm-hmm. that is something that people kind of pick up on about me a lot. <laughs> and it's because it's because of hair. That's why I say it. I was looking for a word to replace the word cool. I found that I was yep. the word cool a lot like oh, mm-hmm. that's so cool. And yeah. I, you know, I don't know, I was looking for some variety. So I started saying groovy when I was when I was working on the show. So I love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Let's get into our uh, experiences and such. But first, I'll explain to our lovely audience and listeners that this was an autumn pick originally. This was not a Mac pick. (laughs) But as you couldn't be here, I then went into my wonderful theater Rolodex of wonderful friends of theater I have. And I went, who can I have join me for this episode? And I was like, well, of course, it has to be Katie because (laughs) surprise, she's done the show. So Katie, why don't you kind of tell us about uh why you chose to come on for this episode and kind of your backstory with this 
uh, hippie musical? Sure. So I, my story started in, mm-hmm. and now I'm forgetting the year, which is really um, bad of me, but uh, I saw the hair revival in 2008, mm. I think. No, it, it came in Broadway. Two, uh, well, there wasn't off Broadway 2008, then it came in 2009 to Broadway. Okay. Yeah. So it was, um, I was in grade nine mm-hmm. and um, it was like one of the first shows that I had ever seen on Broadway in, mm. in New York. And it, rocked my world holy smokes it was it was amazing I still remember I still have mm-hmm. um I have these little uh mementos that I, I keep and one of them yeah. is a little paper that says come to the BN from that production because oh, wow yeah it, it's amazing so I saw Gavin Creel Will, uh, Will Swenson Cassie Lovey yeah which and they were the cast was just incredible and the big thing I remember about it is that it was very immersive like incredibly mm-hmm. immersive so um, at the very beginning, like Berger came out into the audience, like right in the, and I was a student at the time and my student ticket got me in the front row. Wow. <laughs> so I heard of it. And um, yeah. And then uh, right before the BN, they're all running through the aisles, mm-hmm. like actually handing out flyers and giving you flowers and things like that. And then at the very end, this is kind of a I guess not a spoiler, but they have you come up on stage and dance. So they they, yes. they bring a whole bunch of members up and you all dance to let the sunshine in. And it's love that. It was just a magical like <laughs> I was so young, just seeing <laughs> theater for the first time and seeing these, or not for the first time, but on Broadway for the first time. <laughs> and you know, seeing these actors just like just rip their hearts out and fling them at the wall. You know, like <laughs> there's just so much emotion in this, in this <laughs> musical. And not just um you know, crying and, 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 and yeah. negative emotions, but also love and happiness. And yeah, I was just, I was mm-hmm. so amazed mm-hmm. by the production and it, it stuck with me. I still remember it to this day. And then when I first moved to Toronto, so in 2018, I had the opportunity of being in it, which was amazing. So yeah. I, yeah, I had, um, I just moved from New York to Toronto. I just made that transition mm-hmm. and the, the first show I got to be a part of was I was Jeannie in, in hair. So I was um, the pregnant woman, which is funny too, because it started my string that year of, I played like several pregnant women. I was just pregnant <laughs> all the time, <laughs> but I, I, I fell, I fell in love with that musical for a number of reasons. One, the, the production and the production itself was amazing and an experience mm-hmm. I will remember for forever. And then two, a lot of the people that I met in that production are still like, very good friends of mine mm-hmm. today. Mm-hmm. So we we were able to create this this community that was so loving and and safe and kind of all these things. And I yeah, I was just very, very grateful for for that experience. And the musical itself is so fun. It is a fun yeah. musical to be in. It's like, you know, the first act you never leave the stage. You're just mm-hmm. on there and you're just singing and mm-hmm. walking around barefoot and you know <laughs> pretending to, to smoke joints. And it, it, yeah. it was just yeah, it was just the time of my life. So I, yeah, I, I love hair. That's why you love hair. Yeah. Hair, hair, hair. Love and I that. have a lot of hair too. So I always, <laughs> that's why my casting was perfect. They were like, I love that. That curly hair girl, get her in there. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. True. Yeah. Uh, so for me, I basically next to nothing about this music before Autumn put it on our list of episodes where we were going to cover this season. The only thing I did know about it was that there is, a, it was that obviously there's the infamous nude scene that takes yes, the end yeah. of act one that we will get into because I have a lot of production history notes about that particular <laughs> scene. Sure. Uh, and that Seinfeld had this running joke for an episode about hair. 
because Elaine's roommate does an outdoor production of Aaron Gets Crabs, which causes her, uh, Elaine, to temporarily have to move out of her apartment because obviously crabs. (laughs) I've never Uh, seen Seinfeld, but that, that, yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny. It's one of these things. This roommate for the first two seasons is always trying out Broadway stuff. So, oh, okay. so so she so there are a whole bunch of other musical references they do with Elaine, but yes, this one is that her roommate does not do production of hair and gets crabs. Oh no! Which I'm like, yep, that's hair. Always, always <laughs> gets that joke of being the hippie nudist musical. Very like nudist. when I told my parents uh, that this is what I, this is what I was recording to. They went, oh yeah, the hippie musical where everybody gets naked. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know that one. Even my boss at work did. She's like, I remember having the album. Uh, in our yeah. house, the, the white album um, mm-hmm. in, in, our, in, in our house. So it's a very well-known show in, within the world. Yeah. And specific, it's so like, that's what I knew it as too. Kind of, even when I auditioned for it, that was always kind of in my, in my mind was that nude scene. Yeah. And um, we were really lucky. I will just like shout out to the yeah. production that I did. It was, um, uh, we worked like very, very heavily with, so we did do the nude scene, but we were yeah. very, very closely with, a intimacy director who right. was incredible like just mm-hmm. it, it felt i you know from from my perspective mm-hmm. uh like very safe very um yeah yeah very t- taken in a way that was very mm-hmm. uh like delicate and yeah. um and also like quite powerful i think to, mm-hmm. to people. um mm-hmm. but yeah yeah so yeah, yeah, I think it's a yeah, it's a good scene to be remembered by because it is a very powerful, powerful it's, scene. Yeah, yeah, it's shocking. It sh- definitely shocks the audience. Yeah, uh, for sure. And, and and they do it in a way, and they talk about this, and we'll get into this. Is that it's not a sexual nudity. It's just a it's no, a body. Yeah. It's, it's a yeah. body. This is it. And very like, freeing. It's very yes. you know the whole kind of show is about liberation and mm-hmm. yeah, quite liberating to just see everyone mm-hmm. just standing there. Yeah. 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 I mean, like, how did your director and intimate and like, and like industry director handle the scene? Like, was it like, yeah, uh, how did they go about really... tackling just because we'll get into it more with the show, but like, just for you, like, how did they go about it for you? Totally. So it was, it was really lovely. Um, I'd never worked with an intimacy director before because, mm-hmm. you know, thank God intimacy directors are are coming more into, into the theater yeah. world and having a bigger role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really like, it was like fight choreography. You know, yeah. we, because the thing is too, in this instance, it wasn't like we were doing anything inherently sexual. It was just mm-hmm. the, um, you know, the act of being naked is very vulnerable. And yeah. so there was kind of a rule set up from the very beginning that we would send in to, and I'm, I'm, I might get the details wrong now because it was long ago, but either to our director or the intimacy director, um, what our limit was for nudity. So there was never, okay. there was never any obligation to be nude. You did not mm-hmm. have to be nude. Yeah. Um, what happened? So if you were comfortable in your underwear, then you would send mm-hmm. and say, Hey, the most clothes I will ever take off in this scene is is stripping down to my underwear, you know, so you can always have more clothes on than that. Like if you don't want to take off any clothes one night, totally okay. Um, but you can never, you could never be fully naked and no one knew about this except you and the, and the intimacy director. Um, so yeah. And then there were beautiful things too, where, so we first rehearsed it, uh, fully clothed just to get, Mm -hmm. obviously to get like the blocking of it and things. Yeah. Then we rehearsed it with, um, our costumes over top of our clothes just to okay. practice what that is actually like to take off your clothes yeah. just 
logistics wise. Yeah. Yeah. And then the only time we were ever asked to be naked was because consent involves context, which I thought mm-hmm. was a beautiful mm-hmm. way to think about it. And yeah. yeah. Our lives all the time was with full lighting and, and like full, full effects basically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's very different to get naked in a room with fluorescent lighting than yes. it is to get it naked um, with like stage lightings that are dimmed yeah. and, you know, kind of all that sort of thing. Yeah. And then we also, at the very end, we would do a little, um, like a closing, uh, group, uh, what's the best word for it? Like a uh, kind of ritual. Yeah. So we would all put on our robes. We had robes mm-hmm. backstage. We would all put in our robes and we would mm-hmm. all stand in a circle mm-hmm. and we would take a big breath in and then a big breath out. And we would let it go and we'd be like, okay, that's what Excellent. we did. That stays on the stage. And now we, mm-hmm. now we move on. So yeah, really beautifully done. Absolutely. Yeah. And I'll say my final note relating to my experiences with the show is I remember seeing the 2009 revival performance on the Tony Awards. Yes. And I remember being very mad that hair beat West Side Story for best revival. Because oh, for, no. for me, I was championing West Side Story. It's never <laughs> won best musical, best revival yeah. or musical ever. It's never <gasps> won that award. Which mm. is shocking to people that it's never won that. And I was like, Sorry. oh, Sprech is so good. Like, I, I, I it's, like, they changed the lyrics. So it's Spanish for the sharks. Like, they made a really conscious effort to be, get more of the Puerto Rican um, side of the story on, on onto the stage. And I was like, this is so great. Yeah. And, then, and it was directed by Arthur Lawrence, who wrote the book uh, yeah. uh, of West Side Story. So I was like, oh, it's got everything teed up. It's looking good. <laughs> Karen Oliva was yeah. the best supporting actress. That night, like hair, like we'll get into this too. Hair, hair didn't win anything except for best choreography that night until it won for best revival. And I was yeah. like, okay, it's got to be West Side Story. They're like hair, and I was like, damn it, no, no. What is, what is this hippie musical? That's taking like, it was my dear West Side Story. What they're hippies? Come on, come on, come on, come on. That's so, very funny. Yeah, yeah. So that's so, 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 so I was very jaded to this musical for a while. And then in preparation for this, I did watch. Uh, the film version, uh, yeah. as well as I did listen to the various albums because there are quite a few. There's the Off Broadway, the Broadway, the Interview album where they talk to the creators, the yeah. revival album. There's a few. So I, I, I've been doing, I've been living in the world of hair for the last week or so, and I'm like, okay, Yay. I'm, I, okay, I, I'm in the world. So the awesome. movie is very different too. The movie it is, is very, very different from the show. Yeah. We'll get into that too. Yeah, we, 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 we will get into the movie as well because we will touch on that because it is yeah. another infamous movie musical that we will discuss so all <laughs> right let's then katie let's get into the plot because everybody may know the musical hair and what it's actually about besides there's a nude scene so yeah give us the plot rundown what do we got yeah so this is my uh brief synopsis so mm-hmm. here tells the story of a group of politically active long-haired hippies of the age of aquarius living mm. a bohemian life in new york city specifically in central park and fighting this is the big thing and they're fighting against conscription into the vietnam war so they're yep. all there to burn their they want to burn their draft their cards. draft card yeah. yes uh Claude, his good friend Berger, and their roommate Sheila, and their friends struggle to balance their young lives, loves, and the sexual revolution with their rebellion against the war and their conservative parents and society. Ultimately, Claude must decide whether to resist the draft as his friends have done or to serve in Vietnam, compromising his pacifist principles and risking his life. So really, the story follows Claude specifically mm-hmm. and in his decision to uh, join his, his, his friends in burning his draft card or to kind of conform to society and 
quote unquote, make something of his life, which means mm -hmm. um, <laughs> giving his life up to the Vietnam War. Yeah. 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 Love that. That's the love story. That. <laughs> yeah. that is the story. That yeah. is the story in a nutshell. Yeah. I love that. You, you did it very succinctly while still Thank you. intriguing the audience. Awesome. So that's the plot, everybody. Now, Katie, back to you again, because mm -hmm. you're going to give us a deep dive now into who the creators of this musical are, because this is a whole new yeah. creative team we have once again. Yeah. So um, I'll start with uh, Gelt McDermott, mm -hmm. um, who's our composer for the show. Um, mm -hmm. And like Mac and I were saying, he's a Canadian, which is very exciting. Yes. Um, yeah. And he was actually, so he was brought onto the show because um, James Rado and please uh, correct me if I'm pronouncing this name incorrectly, but it's Jerome Regini. Regini, yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. I, that's okay. how I read it. Regini and Rado. I tried to find like a YouTube video of someone saying his name and I couldn't, I, I had a hard time. It's finding, hard. Yeah. yeah. Locating one. So if I'm, uh, mispronouncing that please let me know but yeah so basically they brought him on kind of a little bit later they had mm -hmm. written this this story and then they were basically like they they were they brought it to producers and they were like well come to us when you make it a musical and so they kind yeah. of teamed up with with uh with Gout McDermott yeah um and they made it a musical mm -hmm. um so yeah he was born in Montreal um he's the son of a Canadian diplomat Terence McDermott and Elizabeth Savage uh, he was educated at Upper Canada College and Bishop's University. Uh, he received a bachelor's degree in music from Cape Town University, South Africa. So he was mm. actually really into the study of um, African music. That was his yep. his specialty. Mm -hmm. um, spent quite a, a bit of time in, in South mm -hmm. Africa specifically. Mm -hmm. um, he studied the piano. Uh, and then in Cape Town, he met his future wife, Marlene uh, Brunzeel. And they married in 1956. And he had five children. He won his first, so now I'm kind of getting into more of his professional mm -hmm. career. Mm -hmm. uh, he won a Grammy uh, in 1960 for his song, uh, African Waltz, which is a part of the Cannonball Adderley recording. Then in 1964, he moved to New York City and that's when he, he wrote Hair. So he okay. wrote Hair and then he later wrote the music for the film, which most of the, mm -hmm. correct me if I'm wrong, but most of the music is fairly, fairly. It is. Uh, yeah. Basically, they actually cut songs for, for, for the film. So kind of right. like the opposite way. But there you go. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, so and then like Hair blew up. So he won like mm -hmm. Grammy Awards in 1969, yeah. specifically for uh, Aquarius and Let the Sunshine In. Good morning, Starshine, which is the song yeah. that my dad always knows from this song for, or from the show for some reason. Yeah. And uh, and hair. And then he started writing more musicals. So he wrote uh, Isabel's a Jezebel in 1970, which sounds classic. Like yeah, great. <laughs> and uh, and then who the murderer was in 1970. Hmm. But none of them really kind of took off his hits until he right. wrote Two Gentlemen of Verona in 1971 mm. that was his kind of like next hit musical that he wrote right and it won the tony award for best musical mm -hmm. and then he won a drama desk award uh for outstanding music because of that great yeah and then he wrote a few more things on broadway but that yeah that was kind of his his broadway career and then i have mm. in 1979 he formed the new pulse jazz band which uh, performed and recorded his original music and was one of the first jazz bands to feature a synthesizer, <laughs> which I thought was really quite funny. Good for them. Yeah. So in 2009, he was inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. 
And then on November 22nd, 2010, he was ador- uh, awarded the Lifetime Achievement Award by SOCAM at the 2010 SOCAM Awards in Toronto. Oh. And then he died, actually, like right when I was doing this show, he died in December 17th, 2018. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So he died the day before his 90th birthday. So he, he lived, lived a long, long, good life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's literally exactly, I remember that day very clearly because we were literally doing, we were like in the run of the show. Yeah. He, he passed away. Yeah. But yeah, so that's a uh, Gout McDermott's life. Mm-hmm. So it's kind yeah. of interesting to me that he, you know, was not, he's not like a, you know, he's not like song time or anything. No. Like he wrote this like this big hit musical yeah. that won a whole bunch of Grammys, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I love um, that. I love that. Who do we got uh, next? The next person I've got is, so this is James Rado. So James Rado was born in Los Angeles and was raised in Rochester, New York and Washington, D.C. He majored in speech and drama in college, and then he began to write songs. He co-authored two musical shows at the University of Maryland, Interlude and Interlude 2. <laughs> After graduation, Yeah. Oh, and this is really interesting. He was in the U.S. Navy. So when oh. he... Yeah, which I thought was really interesting, kind of given his his stance on, um, you know, Mm -hmm. clearly on war in general. Yeah, absolutely. After he graduated, he spent two years in the Navy. Mm -hmm. um, And then he returned to school in Washington, D.C. for graduate work at the Catholic University of America. Hmm. And he uh, co-authored a musical review called Cross Your Fingers. Yeah, so he was really into song songwriting. And then, so he moved to New York and he started to study acting with Lee Strasberg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he also wrote pop songs, which he recorded with his own band, James Alexander and the Argyles. <laughs> yeah. All these band names, I'm loving them. I know, this is so fun. It's like so 60s, which I love yes. so much. It's very um, 60s. Everything is so 60s about like this entire production. His first Broadway show was Marathon 33 in 1963. Um, in 1966, Rado originated the Broadway role of Richard Lionheart in The Lion in Winter by James Goldman, mm-hmm. starring Robert Preston and Rosemary Harris. Mm-hmm. Um, he met uh, Regini in 1964 mm-hmm. when they were acting together in the off-Broadway play "Hang Down Your Head and Die." <laughs> yes, we we'll get into that. With the two of them. Oh, really? Okay, good. Yeah. I was like, these are wild. Yes. Uh, great. Um, later, both Rado and Regini were cast in the roles of Tom and Tolan in the mm-hmm. Chicago company of Mike Nichols's production of "The Nap." Mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. And then, so they became really, really good friends and they started working on hair together in 1964. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I really loved this. Uh, so he said, uh, we were great friends. It was a passionate kind of relationship that we directed into create creativity, into Mm -hmm. writing and creating this piece. We put the drama between us on stage. Yes. Yeah. Cause I think, so kind of the last, um, kind of the last part of them apart or uh, part of Rado's biography is that he, he did say that they were, they were lovers, I believe. They oh. were like, yeah, yeah. The advocate Rado publicly described himself for the first time as omnisexual and spoke openly of being Regini's lover. So I don't know oh. how much, um, yeah, again, this is Wikipedia, so please fact check us. But yeah, <laughs> yeah you know, especially in the 1960s, obviously a big deal. And they clearly have like, you know, because Berger and Claude, I do believe, have like an, a, yeah. an intense love for each other as well. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, so they really like, so, uh, my next part of this is he spent a ton of times with time with like the actual hippies in New York city. Yes. Um, we'll get into that time. Yeah. Which like exactly was, was the catalyst for this, for this musical. So he said, we hung out with them and went to their beans and let our Mm -hmm. hair grow. Um, I have that same quote. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's so cool. Right. Yeah. Um, It's immersive. Yeah. The source. Yeah. But so that's, um, that's James Rado. So he, yeah, he Mm -hmm. kind of started as like a writer and then really got into acting and then was a Broadway. Yes. And then um, the last member of this fabulous group is mm-hmm. uh, Jerome Rigini. So he was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and grew up in kind of a, a low-income family um, with 10 children. Holy smokes. He attended Georgetown University and the Catholic University of America. At Catholic, he discovered an interest in theater and began studying acting with Philip Burton. He made his acting debut in Washington, D.C. in 1954, playing Father Core in Shadow and Substance. He continued to act wherever he could find work. In 1963, he appeared in the New York production of War at the Village South Theater, for which he won the Barter Theater Award for Outstanding Actor. Yes. Uh, and then he, yeah, he got married in 1963, and he had a son named Eric. Love that. In 1964, he had a bit part Broadway production of Hamlet starring Richard Burton. He then appeared in Richard Burton's Hamlet, the film version of the production released by Warner Bros. in 1964. That same year, he made his first off-Broadway appearance in the anti-capital punishment musical Hang Down Your Head and Die, which is where he uh, also started to get to know uh, uh, Rado. Uh, in 1965, he performed in the role of Tom in The Knack, the play that opened the new theater and later appeared in the touring company along with Rado. During the show Chicago Run at the Harper Theater, Rado and Regini uh, tried to revive Hang Down Your Head and Die and what they could remember from the script. They also planned to introduce new, new material in collaboration with uh, Corky Siegel and Jim Schwal of the Siegel Schwal Band whom they met playing at a beat oh at a beatnik coffee house of the of the Harper Street strip. Yeah. So they spent time writing ideas for the production. So they were really, really starting to, yeah. to collaborate at this point. Yeah. Yes. Um great. So then they uh uh sorry. Uh da, da, da. uh Regini had been involved with the open theater since it mm-hmm. uh was begun as part of the living theater in 1962 he'd come up with the new name when the split occurred uh within the living theater in 1966 open theater began rehearsals for megan terry play viet rock um Regini took a leading role in the show which opened at the martinic theater in new york and had a successful run hmm. Uh, yeah, so this was actually Soviet rock and experimental theater inspired Regini to work with Rado on a musical about hippie culture. So as research, they, yeah, like you're going to get into, they, they associated with a group of youths in the East Village who were dropping mm-hmm. out and dodging the draft. Uh, they talked to people in the streets and people they knew and read articles about hippie culture and youths being kicked out of school for growing their hair long. They yep. wrote lyrics to 13 songs and completed the first version of their musical mm-hmm. called Hair. Mm-hmm. Two of the 13 songs were removed, many songs were revised, titles yep. were changed, and more songs were written as they continued to work on the show. Yep. Um, so then we, and then we really get into uh, kind of like their uh, 
work with hair, which I'm sure that you will get into. Oh, um, dive deep. Yeah, I really, really hope you get into they. So they both played leading roles at one point. We will touch on that. Okay, beautiful. And like change the script, like in the middle of the show. Yeah. <laughs> like truly wild. Yeah, insane. Um, so yeah. Uh, yeah. And then I don't know if he's still alive. I have no idea. Rainy, uh, no, he died at the age of 55 from cancer. Oh my gosh, so young. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. He was yeah. working on a sequel to Hair when he when he passed away. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so that's the, that's the main creative team. That's our, Love it. our, our lyricist, uh, our book writer and composers. Um, yeah. yeah. Love it. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Well, let's, uh, dive into some production history. Shall we, Katie? We shall. Like those doobies, you know, brush the hair <laughs> and I got some pages of like, notes to get through so let's have some oh fun. should we should we have gotten doobies for this oh my goodness maybe, maybe <laughs> yeah we should have gotten groovy for this <laughs> <laughs> yeah let's really get into, into character exactly exactly yeah. um so to start this section i want to note that by many theater scholars hair was ex- was a significant cultural touchstone musical hair's impact can be traced not only to its position in broadway history but America's history as well through this musical's way of encapsulating the major shifts happening in this time period from the changes in society with the civil rights movement to the sexual revolution to the Vietnam War. Hairs is also notable for being Broadway's first fully realized concept musical and paved the way for this form to dominate the musical theater scene of the 70s with other such musicals following as Company, Follies, A Chorus Line, and Pacific Overtures. So there you go. I didn't know that. How cool. Mm-hmm. The first mm-hmm. concept musical. Well, I mean, there's all types of debate. Like some people say it's made of La Mancha. That's concept musical. Some oh, people okay. say it's this. Like it's, I, I, after listening to Hair, I go, this is much more concept musical than Made of La Mancha. Yeah. Like, Made totally. of La Mancha does have a basic concept of the, the impossible dream, but it's still, it's also a yeah. strong book. This doesn't really have a book. And we will get into that. Oh, okay. Yeah. 100%. Yes. Okay. So, Katie, as you alluded to, Hair was conceived by actors James Ratto and Jerome Regney. The two met in 1964 when they performed together in the off-Broadway flop, Hang Down Your Head and Die. <laughs> it was a That's flop! Right. Oh, no! It was a flop. Oh. It was a flop. Yep, yep. And they, and they began running here together in, the, in late 1964 as they saw the excitement in the streets and the parks and the hippie areas. And they thought, if we can transmit this excitement onto the stage it would be a wonderful theatrical experience so that was kind of their thought was like okay we got to try and bring this onto the stage cool. so so Rado yeah. has described the inspiration for hair as a combination of some characters we met in the streets people we knew and in, in our imagine in our own imaginations we we knew this group of kids in the east village who were dropping out dodging the draft as you said katie there's a lot of articles in the press written about kids being kicked out of school for growing up their hair long so you as you alluded to this was a very big kind of touchstone for them and it really kind yeah. of helped inform the writing process as well by hanging out in these communities they even went uh to be-ins and let their own hair grow long in the, to get in the spirit you know heck yeah mm-hmm. so the collaboration between these two friends was very fruitful but could also be tense and this volatility in their partnership did end up being reflected in the musical, as you've alluded to, as well, Katie, yes. that as partners, they're, they're very much kind of brought their own relationship into their 
uh, main characters mm-hmm. as well. So, you know, it happens. Like, yeah. life imitates art, you know? Yeah. I or, kinda, or, 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 no, art imitates life. That's the imitates life. I wish yeah. life imitated art. That would be amazing. Yes. But yeah, that was something I didn't know was kind of that the characters of Claude and Berger, I guess, were pretty, like, much, like, were very much modeled after themselves. Yeah. Which yeah, is really, I, to to my understanding, which was that's my understanding as well. Is is that basically yeah. they is, is that once again they write they wrote what they knew, and yeah. they knew themselves enough to kind of get their own selves into the show because they're like we know ourselves we'll get us we'll get ourselves in and very detailed them to write themselves into their own show. Yeah, I have to say <laughs> how, to, how to guarantee yourself work exactly <laughs> into exactly. the show. Brilliant, love it. Yeah, yeah. so. Uh, Bredo and Ragni uh, then brought their drafts of the show to producer Eric uh, Blue, uh, and they were then connected with Canadian composer Galt McDermott to help them score their work. McDermott was a marked contrast to his fellow collaborators as he had short hair, a wife, <laughs> and at this point had four children and lived in the suburban life on Staten Island. So oh he God. was polar opposite to these two gents. Yeah. But it was the fact that because they had a love of rock and roll that they were able to connect. In fact, McDermott even said that he hadn't even heard the term hippie until he met Ragney and Radom. What a time. So, there you go. Yeah. yeah. So McDermott wrote the first score in three weeks, stating that the songs I Got Life, Ain't uh, Got uh, No, and Where Do I Go, and the title song all kind of came quite quickly to him. He, yeah. wrote, he first wrote Aquarius as an unconventional art piece, but then later rewrote it to be an uplifting anthem to open the show. Mm. Uh, McDermott claimed that the songs couldn't be all the same, and instead he sought to feature different styles. Uh, As such, the rockabilly sensibilities of Don't Put It Down. Don't put it down, best one around. Best one around. Crazy Crazy for the red, blue, and white. Crazy Crazy for the red, blue, and white. To the folk uh, rock rhythms of Frank Mills. I met a boy called Frank Mills on September 12th, right here in front of the Waverly. But unfortunately, I lost his address. To the pure rhythm and blues of Easy to be hard. Protest rock anthems of Ain't Got No. Ain't got no mother, ain't got no culture, ain't got no friends, ain't got no schooling, ain't got no shine, ain't got no underwear, ain't got no soap, ain't got no A train, ain't got no mind. Then there's the acid rock with Walking in Space. Walking in Space. Oh my. 
which are balanced by the mainstream pop of Good Morning Sun, uh, Starshine. So you can see he was doing a lot of kind of work with the score there. Yeah. Trying to get different elements in it. And we'll get more into his score because a lot of his uh, fellow composers at the time had thoughts on his work. So we will oh, dive really? into that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. We'll get into that. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, so the, the creators pitched the show to Broadway producers and received countless rejections. Oh, Eventually, man. Joe Papp, who ran the New York Shakespeare Festival, decided he wanted here to open the new public theater, which was still under construction in, in New York City's East Village. The pre-production and rehearsal process of this off-Broadway uh, run proved to be quite challenging as the casting process was quite disorganized with many of the cast members. Shelley Plimpton, in particular, were recruited right off the street. Uh, the wow. Mm-hmm. The material itself was incomprehensible to many of the theater staff and the director, Gerald Freeman, withdrew in frustration during the final week of rehearsals, which caused the choreographer, Anna Sokolo, to take over the show. However, after a disastrous final dress rehearsal, producer Papp wired Freeman in Washington to please come back, and Friedman did. Oh my gosh. So much drama. I had no idea. A lot idea. of drama. Wow. Trust me, this show has a ton of drama at least. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of drama, trust yeah. me. Yeah, wow. Uh, Hair premiered off-Broadway at the Public Theater on October 17th, 1967. And the mm. cast included Walker Daniels as Claude, uh, Ragney as as Berger, Jill O'Hare as Sheila, Stephen Dean as Woof, uh, Arnold uh, Wilk- uh, Wilkerson as Hud, Sally Eaton as uh, Jeannie, and... Shelley Plimpton as Chrissy. The production ran for a limited engagement for six weeks, and while receiving a tepid critical reception, it was popular with audiences, so much so that a cast album was released, which is very yeah. rare for an off-Broadway production to get a cast recording done. A cast album, yeah, interesting. For a six-week run, very, very rare. Uh, yeah. The show was then remounted at the Cheetah, which was a discotheque at 53rd Street and Broadway, this remount was produced by Joe Papp once again, but this time he was in partnership with Chicago businessman Michael Butler, who was planning to run for the U.S. Senate on an anti-war platform. Oh. Uh, Butler had seen the initial run several times. Uh, the remount opened there on December 22nd, 1967, and ran for 45 performances. Mm-hmm. Both these productions are notable for not featuring any nudity. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. That comes it's later. So- It's so interesting to me as you're talking about this, how, you know, I feel like this is, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was a musical where literally what they were talking about was happening at the same time. It was very present. Yeah. Yeah. Down the street, you had people actually burning their car, their draft cards. Like like how revolutionary, you know, it's just, yeah, it's mm -hmm. really interesting because I feel like usually, yeah, musicals are written about, like about things that have happened in the past. Yeah. As opposed to like being so immediate, yeah. you know. Yeah, like, I, I, yeah. The only one I can think of that is like that is West Side Story because in 1957, right, uh, violence that was happening was very present. Cheetah Rivera remembers that Jerome Robbins actually stuck a news article up of a young gang member holding a knife and over over a dead body. Oh. Uh, 
I, I, I can uh, I up on the rehearsal court for it to show the cast that you know what we are doing is not some fictitious Shakespearean musical. This is yeah, life. I'm actually, speaking it. to the 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 racism mm-hmm. that was yeah going on. Yeah, yeah it's so interesting. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. It's very rare because it's so hard to capture a time and a place while still making your musical time uh, timeless as well as timely. Like yeah. it's so hard to kind of judge that. Like, like so many musicals are are timely, but then don't have that timeless quality that allows them to have the longevity you need to make a really successful financial musical hit. Right. Like, like I, I, I'm trying to think of other musical. Like Come from Away is modern, but it's not immediate. Like we are twenty, yeah, 20 plus years after, after. 9/11. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's a very rare thing to have something like, as you said, like happening right down the road from your theater, you go into central park yeah. and see, and see the youths actually burning their draft cards. So um, interesting. I slide. just kind of never like understood the gravity, you know, mm-hmm. of like that, just that time, you know, that, yeah. that I, you know, I tried to obviously, cause I was looking yeah. at, but like of being like, kind of like, yeah, very, very interesting to like be mm-hmm. producing that show while this, um, the album is just going on. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah, it was very, yeah, and that's part of the, the impact of the show is that it reflected the world that was really outside the theater doors right. uh, to, to audiences who may, who, who may not see it because, as we know, a lot of theater audiences are usually upper middle class, yeah, uh, suburban uh, audiences uh, who, who probably wouldn't be found in Central Park at night. Uh, yeah, you know, smoking a doobie, you know, growing up their hair long, <laughs> burning the draft cards. Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, so interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, following the run at the Cheetah Discotheque, the remount was then decided it was going to go to Broadway. So they had to kind of get on that. Joe Papp is inclined to produce that production, so mm-hmm. Butler was on his own as as the sole producer of this musical. At that point, Butler was first unable to secure the, a Broadway theater as the Schubert's and Niederlanders and other theater owners deemed the material too controversial right. uh, to mount. However, Butler had family connections and persuaded uh, Biltmore Theater, now the Samuel J. Friedman Theater owner, David Cogman, to make his venue available. So hmm. when you know somebody, use that connection. Get right in there. Yep, get get exactly. it to Broadway. It's I all wish I had you Broadway know. people, you know? Right? Come on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, amazing. Um, so while Butler was working to secure the venue, the musical went under, uh, underwent heavy revisions. The uh, off-Broadway book, already light on plot, was loosened even further and made more realistic. 13 new songs were added, including Let the Sun Shine In, oh. uh, to make the ending more uplifting. Director Tom Oh, Horrigan was hired as he had built a reputation directing experimental theater at La Mama the Experimental Theater Club. Uh, in fact, he had been the writer's first choice to direct at the public theater, but he was in Europe at the time and was unable. So that's how they went with their other guy who did oh. so, uh, and then came back. <laughs> <laughs> Seems pretty unreliable. What's going on? Yeah, exactly. Here? exactly. In rehearsals, Oh, Horrigan used techniques involving role play and improvisations with many of the improvisations actually ending up being incorporated into the Broadway script. Cool. Mm-hmm. O'Horrigan, alongside new choreographer Julie Arnell, encouraged freedom and spontaneity in the performers by introducing an organic, expansive style of staging. 
that had never been seen on Broadway prior hmm. to this moment. Uh, the inspiration to include nudity came when the authors saw this anti-war demonstration in Central Park, where two men stripped naked as an expression of defiance and freedom, and they decided to incorporate the idea into the show. Uh, O'Horgan had used nudity in his other productions and was quite comfortable integrating this concept into the show. Hell yeah. Yeah, the cast had mixed reactions to this moment in the show with uh, cast member Natalie uh, Moscow uh, being reluctant at first, but ultimately she stated she overcame her apprehensions and decided to do the strip. <laughs> While fellow cast member Melba Moore stated, it doesn't mean anything except what you want it to mean. We put so much value on clothing. It's like so much else uh, people get uptight about. Yeah. There you go. Hair opened on Broadway at the Biltmore Theater on April 29th, 1968, with the original Broadway tribe, i.e. cast, uh, including authors Rado and Ragney, uh, who played the lead roles of Claude and Berger, respectively, uh, Kellogg as Sheila, Washington as Hud, Eaton and Plimpton reprised their off-Broadway roles as Jeannie and Chrissy. Cool. Moore as uh, Donnie, Curry as Wolf, uh, Dyson who sang Aquarius and What a Piece of Work is Man, Jarba and Keaton as well were all part cool. of this cast. So very much an unknown cast were all put together on the stage. Which feels but, perfect for hair, you know? Yeah, like it's you don't just want like, no like, names. Yeah. Truly just like, here it is, honestly, yep. you know? You yeah. can meet these people cool. on the street and you never know who they were. Exactly. What? A, yeah, brilliant. What a great idea. Ooh. You yes. know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, the reception to here upon opening it on Broadway was very positive. Clive Barnes wrote in the New York Times, what is so likable about here? Question mark. I think it is simply that it is so likable. So new, so <laughs> fresh, and so unassuming even in its pretensions. Hmm. Yeah. I think totally. you, like you love all those characters, you know, right from the beginning. Yes. I, I couldn't see how anyone, every single one of them, they're so, they're so exactly, they're so mm-hmm. likable. They're all these yep. people who are just so like they truly do have love in their hearts. Mm-hmm. You know, like that is yeah. that is the bottom line is like they are mm-hmm. they want peace you know like it's just yeah yeah, i totally see how that would be the case like you just love them right from the beginning yeah yeah uh so television reviews were even more enthusiastic letter prost of nbc said hair is the only new concept in musicals on broadway in years and it's more fun than any other show this season so there you go the music however did not resonate with everyone leonard bernstein who we just talked about during West Side. Yes. It's more for West Side Story. Walked out of the production and remarked, the songs are just laundry lists. <laughs> well, I mean, okay, to be fair, they, I uh, kind of understand. <laughs> yeah, they kind of are. They are listing. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, Richard Rogers said he only could hear the beat and called it one third music. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Wild. Why on yeah. earth? Yeah. And then Jog uh, Fagrati said, hair is such a watered down version of what is really going on that I can't get behind it at all. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Gene Lees 
uh, writing for High Fidelity stated that John Lennon found it dull and uh, he wrote, I don't know of any musician who thinks this is good. This is scathing. This is mm-hmm. wild. My yeah, they goodness. did not like this Holy. score at all. Soon after the opening, the hair team then became embroiled in a lawsuit with the organizers oh. of the Tony Awards. As after assuring producer Michael uh, Butler that commencing previews by April 3rd of 1968, uh, they would be eligible for consideration for the 1968 Tony Awards. However, the New York Theater League ruled Hare ineligible after moving the cutoff date to March 19th. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yep. yep, the producers brought suit, but were unable to force the league to reconsider. Hare ended up still being nominated, though, okay. for two Tony Awards, including Best Musical and Best Director of a Musical, but lost both awards to the musical 1776. Oh, interesting. Which I do enjoy. <laughs> I know I know this about you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yes, yes, I do like 1776. So interesting, I'm, though. My okay. heart's a little happy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, so the original Broadway cast recording received a Grammy Award, as you said, in 1969 for best score from an original cast show album and sold nearly 3 million copies in the U.S. by December of 1969. Three mil. Holy smokes. Mm-hmm. A lot Wild. of copies. A yeah. lot of copies. The production was also notable for being the first Broadway show to have regular ticket prices at $50. With 12 seats uh, of, of the show at this price being for sale to large corporations. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Was that, sorry, was that expensive or cheap for that time? Expensive. The top price oh, okay. of... Uh, yeah, the top price of a ticket when hair opened on Broadway was yeah. eleven dollars. Wow! Oh, so, interesting. Why would they do that? Hair? I feel like that's like I don't kind of know. against what they're <laughs> what they're trying to like say. You and, would anyway. think. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what they were thinking. Maybe, I will say yeah. when I sat here, I remember my ticket was thirty dollars, and this was in. They um, did have yeah, the other rush ticket for hair. Yes, like that. that was yeah. special. Yeah, yeah. This was in like two thousand nine or yeah, yeah. two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there we go. Uh, the production closed on July 1st, 1972, after a four-year run and 1,750 performances. Wow. So a very successful run. Yeah. Now, during the Broadway run, regional productions were mounted, including a West Coast version, which mm. played at the Aquarius Theater in Los Angeles no for way. two years and featured uh, in the tribe Meatloaf. And Ted Neely, who would go on to play <gasps> Jesus in the film version of Jesus Christ Superstar. Ted Neely! Ted Neely was like my childhood. <laughs> I saw yeah. Jesus Christ Superstar so many times. That's well, so Well, he funny. was part of hair. Interesting. He, yeah. Him and Meatloaf. And Meatloaf. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. What a cast. Right? Yeah. Right? There were, yeah, ultimately there were nine simultaneous productions in the U.S., going at the same time, followed by a national uh, tour. Cool. And among the performance in, in these nine different productions included Joe Montaigne, who many people know from Colonel Minds and as Fat Tony in The Simpsons. Oh, okay. uh, He was part of the Chicago production. Cool. You have Philip uh, Michael Thomas of Miami Vice fame in, the, in, in the San Francisco production. So there you go. 
Uh, the creative team from Broadway worked on hair in Los Angeles, Chicago, and San Francisco as mm. the Broadway staging uh, served as a rough template for these and other early regional productions. O'Horrigan or the author sometimes even took new ideas and impro in, um, improvisations from the regional shows and brought them back to New York and imp implemented them. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So this type of thing for our listeners is not common to have this many regional shows going at the same time as the original Broadway run is still happening. And Very the reason bizarre. why, yeah. yeah, yeah, yes. The reason why uh, producer Butler greenlit so many of these little regional productions was because Butler wanted to influence public opinion against the Vietnam War, and and, and wanted to end it as soon as possible. So basically, he was he was doing a theater campaign here to try and sway the public. How groovy! That right, like, you know, we always talk about like you know art being kind mm -hmm. of you mm -hmm. know a way to make the rev. What's that? Uh, who? has that quote it's it's but the quote is basically it's the artist's job to make the to make the revolution irresistible yes and um or something along those lines i if i if i remember, i feel like i've done this so much i'm like if i remember the name i'll <laughs> i i i'll tell you but it's an amazing quote and um you know i feel like this really put that into into practice you know it's yeah like, we absolutely. want to start this revolution so we're going to make it as appealing as possible mm -hmm. you know like how and as widespread as possible how cool yeah. How groovy, you know? Like, yes. Just a very cool, yeah, concept. I love that. I, I love yeah. that. Very smart of him. Yeah. Uh, so the touring company of hair was met with resistance throughout the U.S. In Southern Indiana, the more civic uh, auditorium refused uh, the booking. And in Eastville, Indiana, the production was picketed by several church groups. In Indianapolis, Ooh. Indiana, producers had difficulty securing a theater and city authorities suggested that the cast wear body stockings as a compromise to the city's ordinance prohibiting public displays of nudity whoa mm -hmm. come on indiana get on board right, <laughs> right. The ways. oh trust me that, that that's nothing we're, we're oh we've okay got more here coming. <laughs> oh, so no. in chattanooga in chattanooga tennessee in 1972 uh they refused to allow the play uh, to be shown at the city-owned Memorial Auditorium and was later found by the U.S. Supreme Court to be an unlawful uh, prior restraint. Oh. Meaning basically they, basically government did not have the right to ban a, a piece of work. Yeah. Uh, so there you go. Uh, in April 1971, a bomb was thrown at the exterior oh. of a theater in Cleveland, Ohio that had been housing a production, bouncing off the marquee and shattering windows in the building and in nearby oh. storefronts. Oh then, my God. Yeah. And then in the same month, families of cast member Jonathan Johnson and stage manager Rusty Carlson died in a fire in, <gasps> in the Cleveland Hotel where 33 members of the show's troupe had been staying. Whoa. Mm -hmm. So Wild. quite a bit of resistance came from this, came to this show. Oh my God. Like such violent resistance. Holy yeah. moly. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, the West End production opened at the Shaftesbury Theater in London on September 27, 1968, led by the same creative team of the Broadway production. Opening night was delayed until the abolition of the theater's censorship in England uh, under the Theater Acts of 1968. So the show wow. could include nudity and profanity. Oh, they couldn't even include profanity. Not until that act was removed. 
wow interesting mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of course i guess because the stereotype is that the english are very proper yes <laughs> proper, exactly yeah. exactly Wild. yeah uh let's see and then here's engagement in london surpassed the broadway production running for 1997 performances before its closure was forced when the roof collapsed in july of 1973 oh my god what a tumultuous <laughs> run Jeez. right now yeah. this london production is also notable because it not only starred a wonderful elaine page mm-hmm. but also richard o'brien who would go on to write the rocky horror picture show and had uh in its cast the wonderful dr frankenfurter tim curry no way I that's know where they that. met that's so exciting how cool mm-hmm. is that other european productions were mounted and the translations followed the original script closely and the broadway stagings were used each script however contained local references such as street names and the names or uh depictions of local politicians and celebrities mm. mm-hmm. regarding mm. the infamous nude scene different countries had different responses uh for each production nudity, uh, nudity was optional uh for the performers the french cast was the nudist of all the foreign tribes while the london cast found the nudity the hardest to achieve the okay. swedish cast was reluctant to disrobe but in copenhagen the tribe meaning the cast thought the nudity was too tame and decided to walk naked up and down the aisles during the show's prelude. I would not want that as an audience member. I'm just going to put that out there. Like, I'm fine. Like, but come on. Like, there's yeah. going to be some, like, I as an audience member don't consent to that. I'm like, come on. Like, I, you know, like, that just seems too, too close. Too close. <laughs> Those darn Swedes. Yeah, come on. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, in some of the early performances, the German production played the nude scene where a big sheet labeled censored was put in front of the actors. So the so, actors got nude, yeah, but the audience never really saw it. So, like, what's the point then of getting? I guess it's I don't just know. for the actors. Well, I guess, yeah, you still get that yeah. sense of like freedom, like liberty yeah. kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Do- yeah, Donna Summer, who was in the German production, said that. It's not meant to be sexual. We stood yeah. naked to comment on the fact that society makes more of nudity than killing. That's and that's the that's the money right there. You know, it's uh-huh. just like yeah. Why is it? Why is that the thing that is yeah. being being censored? And it still happens today, right? I mean, look at Instagram. A hundred percent. Like yeah. hashtag free the nipple. Right. That's well, totally. I mean, specifically, I mean, not to like you know, yeah. kind of totally derail the top, but like you know, mm-hmm. specifically women's bodies or like yeah. you know just like so um mm-hmm. you know yeah just it's, it's objectifying yeah like they're sex- 100% sexualizing you know. objectifying like yeah like, I'm thankful my parents taught me from day one like a body is a body is a body like yeah we all got the same dangly bits with each other here like <laughs> yeah you know well, we I'm all just, look the same yeah like it's you know it's it's a body like get over it like yeah and just that like yeah exactly like you said like that that is more appalling mm-hmm. than like literal young i mean let's be real like yeah. young boys killing you know going overseas and just like mass murdering groups of people you know it's yeah. just and yeah, dying in masses backwards. themselves for a for, for a nonsensical war so yeah a hundred percent yeah yeah so yeah all right, so the Broadway revival of Hair opened in 1990, or, sorry, 1977. 
and ran for only 43 performances. Then in May of 1988, a 20th anniversary concert was held at the United Nations General Assembly to benefit children with AIDS. The event was hosted by First Lady Nancy Reagan with Barbara Walters giving the night's opening introduction. What a wild choice. I know. Of all people, you choose Nancy Reagan. Nancy Reagan? Oh my goodness. The Just Say No Lady? Yeah, geez Louise. Yeah. Okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rado, Red, Ragney, and McDermott uh, reunited to write nine new songs for the concert. The cast included 163 actors, including former stars from various productions around the globe. So a very big production. In 1985, a production pair was mounted in Montreal and was reportedly the 70th professional production of the musical. A South African production was mounted following the eradication of apartheid as the show initially was banned due to its mixed cast uh, an after some benefit of the show was performed for one night at the new amsterdam theater in new york city in 2004 with the tribe including shoshana bean raul esparaza liz calloway gavin creel eden espinoza harvey firestein no Anna Gasteyer, jennifer hudson rupaul laura bonanti and adam pascal sorry what year did that Take place 2004. How cool! That's <laughs> a, a that's cool. a big list of famous names of humongous names. Yeah, yeah. wow, that's so. I funny. can only picture Harvey Firestein being like the dad, like, like, like playing the conservative dad. Or like, how old would he have been at that point? Like, would he have been like, like I don't know. So yeah, <laughs> he, I can't think. He, of three he's years. in the middle of doing Edna and Hairspray in 2004. I wonder if they made him Margaret Mead. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. that's, I mean, maybe that's me yeah. stereotyping because he was Edna and Hairspray, but yeah. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I could see that happening, maybe. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, so then a Broadway revival was mounted in 2009. This production uh, as it was a transfer production from the public theater remount, where it had been successful and, and, and well received. The public theater did struggle to raise the $5.5 million budget for the Broadway transfer because oh. of the severity of the economic recession in late 2008. But right, reached, in 2008. Oh my mm-hmm, gosh. Right? Yeah. But it reached its goal by adding new producing partners. The revival was mounted at the Al Hirschfield Theater, beginning previews on March 6, uh, 2009, with the cast uh, including Gavin Creel as Claude, Will uh, Swenson as Berg, Cassie Lee, uh, Alivi as Sheila, Megan Lawrence as Mother, and Sasha Allen as Donnie. Uh, and the show opened on March 31st, 2009. Once again, the critics' response was very positive, and the production was nominated for eight Tony Awards, but only won two for Best Musical Revival and Best Choreography. Mm. Sales decreased after the original cast transferred to London, and the revival closed on June 27, 2010, after 29 previews and 519 regular performances. So much fewer than the original run. That's so interesting. Like literally a half. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that's what happens when you're in an economic recession. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Totally. 100%. Unfortunately. Then in August 2014, the 2009 Broadway version was returned, but this time for a three night engagement at the Hollywood Bowl. Mm-hmm. And the cast included Kristen Bell as Sheila, Hunter Harris as Claude. Benjamin Walker as Berg, Amber Riley as Donnie, Jenna 
Erskowitz as Jeannie, Sarah Highland as Chrissy, Mario oh. as HUD, and Beverly D'Angelo and Kevin Chamberlain as Claude's parents. Cool. Mm-hmm. It's like half the like a lot of a lot of glee folks, a lot of yep. uh, yeah, yep. a lot of I mean, we got some Sarah Highland in there. Great. Yeah, awesome. exactly. Cool. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so the musical was adapted into a film in 1979, and it was directed by Milos Forman, who directed such films as Amadeus and One Who Flew in the Cuckoo's Nest. Cool. Mm-hmm. The film starred John Savage, Trent Williams, and Beverly D'Angelo of the National Lampoon's Vacation fame, which was Clark's wife, Ellen. So several songs were deleted, and the film's storyline departs significantly from the musical, with the yeah. greatest diversion being that a mistake leads to Burger going to Vietnam in Claude's place, and he's killed. Yeah. So definitely a shift in the story there. Well, and also, uh, like, Claude is not, he's not a hippie when it starts. He's, like, a businessman or something. It's yes. very, yeah, it's very mm-hmm. interesting. It's very, yeah, yeah very mm-hmm. strange. Yeah. So while the film received positive reviews, Ragni and Rado uh, said it failed to capture the essence of hair by portraying hippies as oddballs without mm. any connection to the peace movement. Interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would see why they wouldn't be, like, super on <laughs> yeah. to be honest. I, yeah. yeah, right? Exactly. Uh, it was nominated for two Golden Globe Awards, including Best Motion Picture for oh. Musical or Comedy, and New Star of the Year in Motion Picture for Williams, and Foreman was nominated for a Caesar Award. Interesting. And thus ends McKenzie's long story production history. No, that was great. Honestly, I was like, that was riveting. That was like so much I didn't know. So that was great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Of course. I wanted to add, I don't know if Mm -hmm. you read this, but so there was a a time when, so Ragni and Rado were in the cast Mm -hmm. and they would like change the production every night. Like they would like add things and like- Probably during the regional runs when they were coming to and from and picking things up. Yeah, exactly. And so they like literally, here, wait, I have a little story. Yeah, Uh, give me the story. This is something I I didn't find. So It's so interesting. So, okay. So when they returned to the Broadway production, Ragney's practice of spontaneously changing the show became a nuisance. So in one (laughs) incident, Ragney and Rado were arrested after walking nude down the aisle during a performance. So that's why I thought it was so interesting (laughs) to do that. You were like, oh, the German, right? It was the German. Yeah, the German production did it. Mm-hmm. Or yeah, yeah, one of those productions like or no Swedish. The- yes, you're right. The Swedish production did it. Yeah, but they would like they would change the um yeah they would change like the script all the time like just like completely like you know they would show I this is something that I think I heard when we were doing the show like they'd show up like very high obviously and kind of like <laughs> all that sense. sort of jazz yeah, yeah really really interesting <laughs> but yeah be in that cast and just be like well i don't know what's gonna happen tonight guess let's have some fun let's all smoke a doobie and get out there yeah i guess we'll just find out but yeah so funny yeah (laughs) interesting cool and now we will hear a quick word from our new partner Stu, over at the sounds of broadway radio station take it away Stu. Where can you hear the best music from Off-Broadway, Broadway, and the London stage? The answer, soundsofbroadway.com, your 24-7 online Broadway music radio station. Listen to selections from well-known, popular, and more obscure musicals from the most diverse playlists anywhere. That's soundsofbroadway.com. Let's go on with the show. Thanks so much, Stu, and now back to the show. Right? 
Yeah. Okay. Well, let's get into our top three songs. Okay. So we'll go one by one, Katie. And so, Katie, tell yes. us, what is your first uh, song that has made your top three song list? Okay. So my top three songs are not in any particular order. So this okay. is not like my favorite song, but this yep. is a song that I really like. Um, this is Walking in Space. So this is the Ooh. um not make my list really this mm-hmm. is my favorite song in the whole show i think okay. um the are kind of tied with my other one but yeah. um so i think the line uh how dare they try to hide or oh my gosh i'm gonna get the line wrong to hide this beauty i think is mm-hmm. the line how dare they try to hide this beauty yeah is gorgeous oh my mm-hmm. god and it's all i mean it's them like starting this trip but yes. I think it's a way, it's really, um, the beginning is all kind of solos and they're yeah. talking about doors locked, like things closed. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like them um, starting to see the world for like, as it truly is. Yes. And yeah. Yeah. And so they're, they're seeing like the most beautiful parts of, mm-hmm. of society and what we have to mm-hmm. offer. And the, and the music is just like gorgeous. Like it makes me yeah. cry. And then at the end of the trip, sequence they do kind mm-hmm. of a little reprise of it but as yes. they're coming out of the trip and yeah. it's oh I, it's it's beautiful it's my favorite yeah it's like one of my favorite songs in the in the show yeah love it love it yeah i mean yeah i mean i think it's a yeah it didn't it did make my list but definitely the way you so beautifully illustrate it really does capture this whole concept of entering the trip leaving the trip and just how once again because claude coming out of that trip has that realization of yeah. what the world really is and makes his choice to spoiler alert he has to cut his hair and go to war yeah yeah uh so i mean yeah no it's a great kind of booker uh, a bookmark song that kind of bookends this big sequence of, of this, basically the entire second act yeah it's, it's a, lot of, a lot dedicated to this trip that they yeah. go on so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so for me my number one is the age of aquarius good choice didn't make my list but yes 100 i thought this was such a great opening song the minute i hear the opening instrumental i'm immediately transported back in time to the yeah like i hear it i'm like yeah i know exactly where we are i can almost (laughs) smell the weed yeah Uh, like i get it right away like it's a perfect set like it just start you you hear those chords you're like ah i know exactly what i'm like where we're going with this 
You're um, so right. It does such a good job of kind of setting the scene. Yeah. yeah. 100%. Very quickly. It does yeah. it very fast. And it's yeah. Like, yeah. And, and then I like the vocals in this because they're haunting. Like, I, 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 it's, it's almost like this siren call that is calling all these people into the space, yeah. onto the stage. Uh, and it's just, it, it's, it's a much better version of the other concept musical from the 70s that I thought this was very similar to, which is Godspell, where you have oh, prepare yeah. ye the way of the Lord. <laughs> Where you have this, like, everybody being called into the fountain to be baptized. Yeah. And this is a much better version. I will take Age of Aquarius <laughs> over the 50-minute, 100 verse of prepare ye the way of the Lord shit. I 100% agree. Um, yes. Yeah. So yeah. But I also like how when these voices are all coming together, when they're singing the word Aquarius, Aquarius. Yeah. Like, I like how it starts out as harmonic. But then as they crescendo, they blend into this almost unified uh, voice that's ominous and dissonant all at the same time while still not sounding like yeah. bad dissonant. But it's like, there's something foreboding. It's, once again, it's a siren call. It's this thing of yeah. sirens were known to drag the sailors to their doom, right? That's their whole concept is mythology. So it's like this thing of, you're going to be pulled into this world, but it's going to show you truths that you may not be ready to see. That's a really beautiful way of putting it. Because I think there is like, for lack of a better word, there is something quite, um, almost a little unsettling about that song. For sure. Mm -hmm. It's quite, um, yeah, it's quite uh, dissonant, kind of harmonically. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, and that, but that's why I too, I think, um, you know, we're kind of talking about the music a little bit. Mm -hmm. the, when we did the show, I sang soprano too. And so ah. we, I was like quite into the, like the harmony of it. And mm -hmm. I think the harmonies are so well-written. They mm -hmm. are really, really like, just like very yeah. complimentary and kind mm -hmm. of create these chords that are like just a little bit off, like just like a yes. little, yeah, they really evoke kind of a specific feeling. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, that's really cool that you, you picked up on that as well. Yeah. I love yeah. it. And then, and then I also like how the lyrics uh, are kind of like also become like a group prayer for the world yeah. as, as, as they're entering this new age of Aquarius. Like it's kind of like this group moment of this is what we are praying for in this new time. And also as an Aquarius yeah. myself. <gasps> are you uh, an Aquarius? I, I am. Oh I am my Aquarius God. Cancer moons. And my cancer moon cancels in a lot of the more <laughs> wild side of the Aquarius. Yes. Yeah. Um, but that being said, I do like that Aquarius does get a mention here because oftentimes we are the forgotten astrological sun. It's like, yeah, you guys are the ones at the end. So <gasps> Jill's an Aquarius too. Yes. yes. Yeah. That makes sense of why we get along so well. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. So that's my number one. Nice. So what is your number two? My number two is uh, slash failures slash let the sun shine in. And I think, yeah, I think this, list, but I, but it was close. Oh, okay. Yeah. This, um, I like this song. Okay. 
kind of specifically for Ooh. one line that is sung okay. by um I think the name might have been changed. We had our woman who sings Aquarius is Dion. Right. And I think they might have changed that to Donnie. Okay. In one of the we didn't have a, a Donnie in our in our Could have um, been a Dion and I just said it. No, no, I think I think no, but I remember seeing Donnie somewhere. So I think they might have changed okay. the name. But yeah, so we have Dion is uh so Dion and is the woman who sings Aquarius. Mm-hmm. And um Dion and Sheila sing this line that's like this super high belty line and it's mm-hmm. like removing paper fantasies it's so high and it's beautiful and it's just this moment of like um like outcry like because it's 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 happening while they're they're like actually at uh, a protest like they're they're right. there like like on the steps like this yes. is it and yeah. it's it just feels so visceral they are like mm-hmm. Pleading, they're pleading, pleading, pleading. Yeah, and it's beautiful. And then the segue that goes into on a spider web, sitar, life is around you and in you. Whatever happened to it's like Timothy, Timothy Leary, Deary. And then we go right. right into there's no break. Let the sunshine, let the sunshine. Like it's like a, it's like them begging. Like it's like mm-hmm. it's like a cry. You know, it it's is a like, cry. Yeah, and it just it makes me like emotional every time because I just think mm-hmm. it is so. It's like truly as an actor, like taking your heart out and just like flinging it and being like, mm-hmm. you know, it's just, yeah, it makes it, me, yeah, yeah, I just think it's so beautiful. So yeah, that's my favorite. It's favorite a beautiful uh, closing number because you're right. It is pleading. Like, like the let the sunshine, like the, like the fact yeah. that you elongate that let makes it such a almost like that wail of pain. Yeah. The loss that is happening by these men going off to Vietnam. Yeah. That, and I mean, that, Pain can be translated into anything to what happened last summer mm-hmm. with the Black Lives Matter uh, movements and protests that were happening. Like the the the, the whole song of let the of let the sun shine in. Like it's 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 this universal anthem to just that just can encapsulate and represent so much pain and protest in the world because ultimately there all these protests they fight for basic human rights, basic human decency in the world. Yeah. Letting the sunshine is such a great way of just encapsulating that because sunlight is truth. Sunlight is like honesty. Like, like it's basically saying like, let the truth out. Let like take away the shadows and the mystery of, 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 of the world. Like let's all be honest yeah. with each other. Let's be open and accept each other. Let's not hide in our shadows anymore. Well, and I just think too, it's, it's very much about um, like begging for like empathy like, yes. you know, I think that a lot of the thing too, with a lot of institutions is that there's such a lack of acknowledgement of, yeah, of, of empathy mm. of like, it's very selfish thinking. Yes. And I think that, yeah, let the sunshine in. It's like, you know, sunshine, light, like let this mm-hmm. into your heart, let this, yeah. you know, and, um, yeah, that song, that song always gets me. And mm-hmm. I always like too, that it's funny when we were learning it, I was like, I don't know what the, what the melody of this song is. Yeah, you know, like does any it's a you know because the high line is like let the sunshine let the sunshine in or like mm-hmm. let the sunshine let the sunshine in yeah and I that's think, the one I hear more often. I think I probably one. hear that too. But learning it, I was like, and I think that is kind of a little bit by design because mm-hmm. it's kind of this like you know it's kind of showing that like each one of these could be the melody, but we're coming together as a group yeah. to like make this like. um mm-hmm. Yeah, beautiful piece of piece of music. Yeah. So yeah. um 
yeah, but yeah, I love, I love it. And I love the moment, like, again, spoiler alert, but the, the, the cast leaves mm -hmm. and Claude is dead. Like Claude, Claude yeah. has died. And so, yes. you know, it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just like a cry. It's like, so mm -hmm. it's so beautifully painful, you know, mm -hmm. to like, yeah, but yeah. Anyway. So that's one. Yeah. That's my, my number two favorite. Song. I love it. I love yeah. that. My number two though is air. Sulfur dioxide, hello, carbon monoxide. The air, the air is everywhere. Breathe deep while you sleep. Breathe deep, bless you. Alcohol bloodstream, save me. Nicotine lungs, steam. Incense, incense is in the air. Interesting. Okay. 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 That's so, on my skip cut list. So I really yes. okay. <laughs> yeah. All yeah. right. All right. All right. Let's debate this. So yeah. I'll just say first off, I like how this song takes a very serious topic mm -hmm. of environmentalism and obviously what's going on now in the world. It's very prevalent and important. Mm -hmm. And I like how this one tackles it with biting satire. That's almost given a big middle finger to corporations and to the people in the world who turn their nose and turn their back on on the environment mm -hmm. and, and the atrocities that are happening sure um, i mean i find myself bopping along to this song and then i'm like oh wait what they're talking about is yeah. really horrible like, yeah I, I i i gotta put the lyrics again hold on i have the lyrics it's like welcome sulfur dioxide yeah hello welcome yeah sulfur dioxide yeah hello. yeah like it's so catchy but it's like yeah yeah, yeah. welcome sulfur dioxide hello carbon monoxide the air the air is everywhere breathe deep while you sleep breathe deep yeah. bless you alcohol bloodstream save me nicotine lung steam in uh incense incense, incense yeah. in the air breathe deep while you sleep breathe deep like it's those lyrics are so snide but it's almost like you know what people who don't believe in global warming <laughs> yeah. it's like welcome all right you know what you're, you're gonna ignore it until guess what you're gonna have to wear a, a gas mask like this character does mm -hmm. because you can't breathe the air anymore yeah because, because you polluted and destroyed it so mm -hmm. badly so i mean right. i love just how biting that is and the fact it's so kind of bum bum da, 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 da. it's like yeah it's so subversive i like a good song that is subversive sure totally twists you in a different direction yeah uh so for me i just go yeah i love this song this is one of the first songs where i heard it and i was like yep this is making my my my, my list and actually and as uh, really many times i go this makes my lawn cutting list that i listen to as i'm cutting the lawn as i'm bopping along interesting lawn. yeah see so, i did so make your other list yeah so i i played genie when right. um, we did the show and mm -hmm. for listeners out there genie sings air um yeah. and um i find this song i think probably the reason i don't like it is because i do not like the melody at all i think it is so boring i think that um i think that we've kind of come from this very um this this amazing intense mm -hmm. build after the song right before this is uh uh ain't got no yeah and it's like intense 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 and then all of a sudden it's like 
But I think that's great. That's that whole. And I kind of, I see, I do see your side. Of of air, basically. And maybe that is what it's meant to signify. For yeah, for me, I'm just like this song is so boring, you know. And it's it's it's, (laughs) and that's like coming from maybe I should have made it more interesting as the person playing the role. Yeah. Uh, But um, but you know, I yeah I, and again i do agree with you like this is like a pretty like a very pertinent topic and yes. like very like kind of ahead of its time in in the 1960s very ahead of its time. um yeah so i kind of wish that there was like more of a big deal brought about it i kind of feel like when mm-hmm. we were kind of staging this song we kind of thought it was interesting that she kind of liked what what you were saying that um you know, it's kind of like almost like a lullaby. You know, it's it almost is. like or like a well, song she's for pregnant, children, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly, and that's pregnant, the whole yeah. point, right? Is she's like learning to be nurturing and learning to be, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. the best mother she can, mm-hmm. which is like spoiler alert, probably not a very good mother. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah, um, but um, you know, and she she ends up doing that for Claude quite a bit as well, right? So, yeah. um, but yeah, so it is it is really interesting. Like it's like yeah, it's like a song for babies, and it's like it's stitching, a dark lullaby. You know, Kind of like yeah. the Rosie. I think I might like this song more if it was in a different place in the show. I think that mm. I, yeah, maybe it's because it like happens right after we're just like on this, you know, we've just had, I believe in love, ain't yeah. got no, like we're in like, we're in protest mode. And then all yeah, of a sudden you, it's like, uh, ben, yep, ben, yeah, so maybe that's, maybe if it was- But that's also place, is kind of funny in the sense of like, Oftentimes, yeah. when you have these big protests, right? There's always yeah. this one little fraction group that shows up to protest something completely <laughs> different. That's yeah. like, why are you here? Why yeah, did you show yeah. up to our protest about about whatever? And you're on a totally different topic, <laughs> different planet, different subject, and you I, totally di- mess yeah. up the message of the day. A hundred percent. I yeah, it's it, that is very funny. But yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe you know, I could come around to it. I don't think it's yeah. like my. It's definitely not my favorite yeah. song of the mm-hmm. show. Like it'll never be my favorite song of the show. Yeah. But um, but I do. I you know, I see. I get. I get why you might you might enjoy. It. And the other thing too is that from at least for like my voice type, I guess <laughs> too, it, it's a hard sing because it's very yeah. like it's very talky. It's really yeah, low. It's- it's, a it's really talky and it's really kind of hard to make it um kind of like like you know uh, melodic yeah or even like high stakes you know it's yeah. it because it feels like it's it kind of just sits here the entire yeah. time i guess yeah but yeah I, there's I no build yeah. in the song yeah there's definitely no build no in build the song. <laughs> it's really no build at all mm-hmm. it's really just like uh you know a children's song yeah. i see your point i do I, okay. I, I, good discussion, Mac. See, <laughs> so, this yeah. is the joy of the show. Yeah. You get to dive it. in and ha- and kind of pick the shows apart. Yeah. I so what's that. your number three? Let's see if we'll actually finally get one when we meet up. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. So my number three is Frank Mills. I would gratefully appreciate it if you see him, tell him I'm in the park. Frank Didn't Mills. Didn't make my list. 
Really? Yeah. Oh no. But that's there's lots of good songs. Yeah. But I love Frank Mills. A because the woman who played Chrissy in our production mm-hmm. was spectacular. Oh my god, she was spectacular. She was amazing, and she was like this like sweet, sweet young woman who like she really um, it, it was like first love. You know, it yeah. Was, like, beautiful moment of just kind of like reprieve and like you know she just gets to gets to sing about this boy Mm -hmm. who she was in love with and I just like I think it's such a nice moment of we've just kind of come off this thing too of um uh Jeannie uh Jeannie's unrequited love uh for for Claude Mm -hmm. and you know and so and she's kind of like you know Jeannie's pregnant like she's she's definitely like you know kind of been in love many times before or like has like been you know um yeah has like kind of had had her uh had life experience in terms of like romantic relationships right and um uh Chrissy has not you know and so right. Chrissy is kind of like this new like everything is so kind of like glossed over and like beautiful and she's like I'm just gonna wait here and sit here until he until he comes home and until he comes to see me again. He said he was gonna come <laughs> home and like it's just like so it's so beautiful. <laughs> like I just yeah. like I love it. I'm like, you know, it's it's so kind of um like innocent in a way. Yeah. You know? like, it is. It's very yeah. I mean it, the fact that you got her, Sarah Highland to play this role in I'll call it the I'm like when you describe the character who sings it, because We'll yeah. get into this but music doesn't really give you a lot of character it's, it's you kind of have to see the show to get who these characters are yeah you know i mean totally. now now that you describe who these characters i'm like yeah i can definitely can see sarah highland singing this type of role yeah she's like the youngest member of the of the yeah. of the group like she um mm-hmm. yeah it's like quite um yeah i just always thought it was a beautiful moment in the show and mm-hmm. it's right before it's the last song before the bn right or is it or is that don't put it down well uh, hold on i can tell you it's one of the last songs before the BN. Um, yeah, let's see here. Hold on. It might be Don't Put It Down. Uh, let's see. Frankie Mills, and then it's BN, and then and then it's Where Do I Go? It, it, it comes after oh. Don't Put It Down. Oh, it comes after Don't Put It Down. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so it's the last moment before the BN. So, right. and it's also one of the only moments, too, when everyone, um, when there's no, it's just a solo song. There's no, yeah. like, um, there's no, uh, backup vocals or anything so it's literally just right. Percy on stage being like like singing this this beautiful song mm-hmm. um but yeah so lovely like yeah so one of it that's one of my faves yes. yeah. yeah yeah okay so my number three is where do I go where do I go follow the river where do I go follow the gulf where is the something where is the someone that tells me why I live and die? Where do I go? Follow the children. Where do I go? Follow their smiles. Is there an answer in their sweet faces that tells me why I live and die? Oh, a great one as well. Yes. Totally yeah. understand. This song, uh, it, for me, I go, it's like Gethsemane in, in, in JCS. Yeah. It has that same vibe to me. And it's like, it's, this song is such a great soliloquy that I can't believe I hadn't really heard it before doing my deep dive. Yeah. And I think out of all the soliloquies, I mean, there's so many, like, you have to bear suicide, you have soliloquy, soliloquy from Carousel, mm-hmm. Gethsemane. Like, this is the one that's really relatable because so many people in their life ask this question of, 
what do I do with myself? Where do I go? Yeah. Like, I mean, COVID really brought this question <laughs> up to the surface for so many of us. A hundred percent. Who are just oh like, goodness. am I on the right path? Am I doing the right thing? Do I need to change tracks? Yeah. Like, what do I do? And yeah. that's what I like about the song is that it's it's this question. I mean, right off the top, you have, where do I go? Follow the river. Where do I go? Follow the gulls. Where is the something? Where is the someone that tells me why I live and die? It's like oh, right gosh. there. I mean, those lyrics are so profound and deep. And, and it's such a pleading yeah. song. Uh, it's so honest and palpable that you feel the fear in Claude that he doesn't know which way. Because this comes right after they've done the burning of the draft card and he's picked his out. Yeah. So he's on this, he's doing almost a Hamlet moment here on stage. Um, like by time kind of slows down too. It's it's mm-hmm. really is like quite a soliloquy. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's yeah. so good. And the music just reflects this question by having this incomplete sounding run in the music that is these never and that's just this continual beat that's strumming mm-hmm. along. And then the song doesn't end on a tonic note, but it ends on an open note. So yeah. you're like left in this very lurching thing of what does he decide? So it's a perfect way to end act one. Uh, well, and it's also, that's the, like, that's mm-hmm. the nude number. Like, that's where everyone yeah. gets gets naked. And so, yeah. you know, there's kind of this, like, really interesting contrast, too, of all these people who are, like, so confident in their decisions, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. that they that they do, they, I was going to say, they get naked. This act, but I don't want it yeah. to seem like it's a bad thing. Yeah. Like, you know, like, yeah, they they, they do this, mm-hmm. this symbolic thing of, yeah. of removing their clothing, and Claude is the only one closed, right? He's like... Yeah still very you know mm-hmm. at least in the in the broadway productions and uh yeah. yeah very interesting yeah no i totally totally would mm-hmm. understand why that's why that's a fave yeah yeah so there we go those are our three so, hey, hey so now i'm not going to the songs we either would skip or would cut okay so your number one was air air yes yeah is my, number my number one is sodomy sodomy why so this song to me just feels like a really bad dt piece that's in the same vein of like la vie bohème from rent where it's just let's just name off a bunch of shit that is provocative and words are going to shock the audience doesn't mean anything it's it's, like it doesn't the song doesn't serve a plot importance it's just this guy is listing off a bunch of words that are going to garner a he said that word. He said that. Word. He said sodomy. He said fellatio. He said right. All these words that are like meant to provoke, and it's like, yeah. Uh, to be honest, after living in the world of device theater for three years, yeah, and having done a show where and having done many shows where people got naked or get close to naked, I'm like, I, I'm not that life. I, I'm not like, ugh. That's so interesting, you You know, because I do, I do think that, you know, that song is kind of the only song that really 
mm-hmm. introduces us to Woof as a character. Yes. Because, like, Woof is kind of so, you know, but that's, but I also, too, I, I see that. Mm-hmm. Like, the entire first act is just lists. It yes. really is. It is truly really just laundry. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I do yeah. agree with, who said that again? That was, uh, uh it was, I can tell you, I think it was Bernstein. Yeah, yeah. That. But, yeah, because that's, I guess, yeah, my only rebuttal to that would be, like, that's kind of, like, really the only way we get to know, yeah. um, like, Woof. who Woof is, I guess as a character and kind of really yeah. introduces us to this, like, you know, the other thing that was going on, which was like this very kind of free love. Yeah. Yeah. The sexual revolution. Yeah. 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 The sexual revolution. Yeah. Yeah. Revolution. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah, but I totally see, I, I yeah. understand why that would be a bit of a like, eh. yeah. 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 From you, I just go, nah, skip it. No, thanks. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. 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 So what's your number two? Kind of in the same vein. My okay. second is initials. Never yeah, that almost made my list too. That was like LBJ around the cusp. Took the, yeah. It it just yeah. kind of seems to me like this thing that um you know they were like this is really clever. So we're gonna and yeah. I actually did a little bit of research into mm. it just because I was like, what is this? So yeah. basically, like I'm gonna get this a little bit wrong, but LBJ like was quite hard on like people who took transit systems because he thought that they were doing drugs. Like on so yeah. that's like why. Yeah, and like I guess the CIA was involved at some point. I yeah. don't know, but it just seems like random and kind of mm-hmm. like they were like, "Oh, this is clever because they're all initials. So we're gonna put them yeah. all together." And like, so yeah, I this would this would be one of my one of my mm-hmm. songs for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it I don't think it like, serves any purpose. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, the only thing it serves is that infamously there was the chant, L, uh, "Hey, hey, LBJ, how many boys did you kill today?" That oh, was used, oh that was used in the '60s. I mean. It was really cool. I actually went to his presidential library when I was in Austin, Texas for a trade show. I had an afternoon off. And so I got an Uber and I, and I spent my afternoon wandering around the LBJ presidential library. And he's oh, a interesting. very interesting historical figure when you realize what he accomplished for civil rights, but then how he kind of almost went a bit Macbethy at the end there with um, Vietnam, where he was kind of, as they say, steeped in blood too far to turn back. That's like uh-huh. he, had, he had gone so far in that trying to get out would have been such a disastrous thing oh that was like you can't really do it so it was kind of like this never-ending problem huh uh, so very fascinating very fascinating so yeah for me but i yeah for me i go yeah it's a list song it's like lbj yeah um lsd it's like okay i'm totally agreeing with you it it was it was easily the number four cool on my list so my next one is one we are ever going to briefly mention which is colored spade and for dinner at the White House, you're gonna feed him. While the mail ain't how many kids ain't showing red alligator ribs. Now, this is a number that you and I, as uh, two white folks, don't really have much say in it. For me, I just go, it's a song I often skip. I don't know if in 2021 the song is needed, but it is not for us to decide. So, but for me, I just go, it's an, it's a skip for me. It's a song that I just will automatically just go, skip. Thank you. Don't really uh, connect with it. It's, it's, it's not a song for me to comment more on. It's just, it's there. It's, it's a song that I don't feel is 
overly necessary. So there we go. I don't know. That's basically it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can go into my next one. Yeah. Which what is, is your next one? Going down. Just like the angel that fell, vanished forever to hell. Today, I've been expelled from high school heaven. Elevator going down, going down, going down. Everybody going down, going down, going down. Ah, didn't make my list, but good yeah, choice. that's like I don't think it's a bad song. <laughs> I just yeah, I don't. Whenever I hear it, I'm kind of like. Uh, this could have been like condensed into a couple sentences. I don't yeah. under, really understand. Like it's it's to promote that mm-hmm. Berger has been kicked out of school, um, yes. which actually was like I guess a significant thing that was happening because like yeah. as an act of this rebellion. But yeah, yeah for me, I'm always kind of like eh, I feel like this could have been I don't know like moved along a little bit faster. <laughs> moved along a little faster. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I'm I'm just not super into it. Yeah. So that's yeah. kind of my thoughts on that one. Yeah. I'm neither here nor there on I'm like, it's a song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's there. Now my yeah. number three may shock you. <gasps> but it is Good Morning Starshine. Good morning, Starshine. You lead us along, my love and me as we sing our early morning singing song. So for me, I go, the song is just so nonsensical. Like its lyrics are glittity, glub, gloopy, nibbity, <laughs> nabbity, noopy, la la, la la, lolo, saba, I've silly. Ne- like, yeah, I've never heard just- someone say it so wanted to. <laughs> that was very funny. Like it's just so nonsensical and it's so just like, you know, top 40 pop. And it's like, Ugh. yeah. Like, uh, and the lyrics are so repetitive. Like, I will give it its due. Like, it is a catchy tune. Yeah. Like, yes. good morning, starshine. Like, the earth says hello. Like, you twinkle yeah. above us, we twinkle below. Like, it's like, I can see why it gets used, and it's it is a very catchy tune. Yeah. We always go, the lyrics are kind of boring, top 40, repetitive, and they're nonsensical mm-hmm. half the time. I'm just like, meh. Under understood. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's mm-hmm. totally fair. I think it is kind of like a strange, um, a strange ending. Cause that's like the yeah. second song in the show. So yeah. It's a, it's a yeah. number. Yeah. I don't quite understand why it is there, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, other than to give us like a second of silliness before, um, before the end, but yeah, it's yeah. totally, you're totally right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah for me, I, I just go, meh. Well, like when you listen to it without actually reading it, it wasn't until I actually looked up the lyrics and I'm like, what are they saying? Are they saying like Navity Do and like, what are the heck are they saying? Savi, Savi, Sava, Nuvi, Avanava, Lele, Lolo. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's totally See, all exactly. Gibberish. It's all gibberish. Yeah. They yeah it's all go, gibberish. It's like singing a song, humming a song, singing a song. <laughs> like those, yeah. the, those are the full lyrics. Yeah, that's very yeah. funny. See, yeah. yeah, right. And it's like, meh. Like, I'll listen to it, but I'm like, it, it, if I'm cut short on time and I'm listening to this album, yeah. it's like, skip. Yeah, 100%. Totally fair. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I mean, it's a great song to wake up to in the morning. It's it's mm-hmm. now one of my alarm songs. 
to get me really it is because i'm like okay oh, so that's a good one. Yeah. little peppy like fun song yeah it's like cute little little ditty yes 100 yes, exactly. exactly. yeah but it's definitely not when i'm like overly enthusiastic about like i gotta go listen to good morning starshine yeah <laughs> yeah like that I, was like I mean, one of the most popular songs though like it oh means, it's so like, popular yeah yeah it's so popular i mean like i could usually see myself singing this to my kid one day it's just like yes. a fun like parent song to sing to your kid Very but it's cute. like yeah nah. Fair enough. Just, nah, to me. yeah all right let's get into the final section though katie which is does this musical still have a place today uh should it be revived I mean, my, my thought is absolutely, you know, I think that, Mm -hmm. I think that we should, you know, I, I like the idea of updating theater to reflect Mm -hmm. the current time, Mm -hmm. um, and like things that we have learned. So I think that that is, you know, always necessary Mm -hmm. and always helpful and always wanted, but, you know, I think that these themes that they were talking about in 1963 are still very real today. They're timeless. You know, there's so many things. Yeah. It's, Mm -hmm. it's so timeless. And ultimately at the end of the day, it's a message of love. It's a message of love and Mm -hmm community and you know and freedom and being yeah. you know being your most true self and mm-hmm. you know um yeah so i absolutely i think it it is um mm-hmm. very it's timeless exactly yeah. exactly mm-hmm. like you said yeah yeah uh so for me i'm i'm mixed okay so from what i've read the show is something very special and it's kind of like the ones that you have to see live to really kind of truly understand and appreciate it mm-hmm as I have not seen it live, mm, my reactions okay. are mainly based on the film and on the albums that I listen to. Right. Which, as we pointed out, don't really give you a full understanding of who these characters are. You don't really connect to the characters because there's not like, except for Claude and his one Billy Big Soliloquy number. Yeah. Everybody else is kind of like, I don't really know Chrissy. Like, I couldn't tell you Chrissy sang the Frank Miller song. I just know somebody <laughs> sings it. Uh, right and, yeah and it's just some young girl singing about losing frank miller Don't, yeah can tell you who frank she Mills, is and what yeah. she does right uh, yeah claude's the only one you kind of get a good picture of who he is um sure. so for me that's why i kind of go i would definitely love to see this live just to get it uh un- better understood i i definitely think i agree with you there's a lot of timeless themes in this that mm-hmm. can definitely still speak to the world today, particularly after the pandemic. Yeah, um, for sure. And as always, I do think some of these older songs that may have worked in the 60s may need a reevaluation now in 2021 because mm-hmm. obviously some of our language choices are, are, have changed, right? Like some of our acceptance of certain words and certain phrases has changed over time. Like even from 2009, like what we accepted in 2009 I was like, oh, it's an art piece. Oh, we're, we can say that because we're, we're capturing a time period. We're doing this, we're doing that. Mm-hmm. Now we're reevaluating all of that. Like, I don't know, like, if certain films will be able to, like certain historical films will be able to say and do certain words and certain phrases and say certain things because I don't know if audiences will be accepting of that now. I and mean, if you do a historical piece, right? So it's, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. Because I mean, I, I, I think I, that- yeah. I, I think that language is really, um, really important, right? And I think mm-hmm. the beautiful thing um, for us as a society is that we we are always learning and always yeah. growing. So I think that um, you know, I think that awareness of certain things is only is only beneficial. You know, yeah, I think absolutely. We're, we're learning and growing as a society. So that's why you know, I'm I'm very much in favor of adapting pieces to 
to reflect um mm-hmm. what we know now and and kind of um yeah yeah and mm-hmm. and and using that to our benefit yeah um so yeah so i think that that that's definitely um mm-hmm. something that that would would benefit here as well for sure yeah exactly yeah yeah but yeah so i think you and i are both in agreement that let's see it brought back let's see how we adapt it for the 2021 audience yeah. because they're going to look at it and want to talk about different things than the 2009 audience did yeah. which is right after the bush years when iraq was the iraq war was still very much prevalent right um, now we're post afghanistan post iraq now we're into kind of this whole new era of i don't know anything war. about war <laughs> i really don't know yeah. a single thing so i'm always like i don't know what it would be you know what i mean but like i'm just you know like obviously yeah like now like i don't know what you could relate it to I mean, there's obviously like always, you know, our, yeah. our military presence is so yes. you know, ingrained in us as a mm-hmm. society. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, I'm sure that there's definitely, you know, oh, there's still lots stuff to, there's lots to, to dive yeah. into. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But there <gasps> we go. We're, we made fine. it to the end. We made Yay. it to the end. So, so Katie, why don't you tell us first, where can people find and follow you? Yeah. You can find me on Instagram. I'm Mercier Miller. That's M-E-R-C-I-E-R Miller. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's my handle. And also too, I'm, I'm currently working on, can I plug this? Is that? Okay? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm working on a new musical that me and my partner are hoping to kind of put out into the world very soon. Woo! So have details on that. Yeah. I'll make Keep sure. us posted. We'll definitely want to talk about it. Yeah. 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 Wonderful. Well, I'll, I want to give a big thank you to our the music composer, Mr. Brody Weld, a.k.a. Father Flozis, who has a new album that you can listen to on Apple Music, Spotify, Bandcamp, which is called Locus. So there you go. Listen to that. Check it out. And you can find, follow us at Before the Downbeat, a musical podcast. You can check out our Patreon page where we do all types of extra good content. Maybe we will do a movie musical commentary for Hair. Fun. Yeah, and we'll try and bring Katie back for that for a, for a special guest cameo appearance. <laughs> a guest cameo, I love it. Yeah, uh, you can find follow me at Mackenzie Horner all social media platforms. Just look for the guy that did your hair. Follow my antics with Copper Hemlock Theater, where we're always tackling something new. As of this recording, we just finished our nine part review mini series on the RSC nineteen eighty production of Nicholas Nickleby. One of Autumn's favorite plays. So there you go. And I guess everybody, until next time, let the sun shine in, everybody. Let that sun shine in. Yay. Thank you. (laughs) Bye. Thank you.